This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode 35 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back with another fantastic episode. We have got our favorite, Joe, from the Masters of Real hey, Estate, guys. back again this week. And, of course, my co-host, Steve Nassar. What's going on, Steve-O? What's happening, Joe? Hey, guys. Great to be back on the show. Welcome back, Joe. Thank um, you. Very much looking forward to your thoughts and opinions on some very lively topics today. Yeah, we had some definitely some lightning rod topics over the last month. We uh, curated some of it, and I think we picked out some that uh, all of our listeners are really going to enjoy. So without further ado, let's just dive into it, Steve-O. What's the first topic we're going to talk about here from the Masters Forum? The first topic was posted April 30th, and I will read it. It says, Seeking Advice. During my open house this morning, I found out there was another realtor from another office and brokerage handing out cards and poaching on people coming into my open house. He got in his car and left by the time I saw him and found out what he was doing. But I did get one of his business cards. Is this an okay practice? Just wondering before I call him and or his principal broker. Thank you in advance. Yeah, this was a bizarre one. <laughs> it kind of it kind of makes you feel almost a little sorry for that person. I mean, it's just so it's kind of pathetic in in a lot of ways. There was even one funny comment about that where somebody said something to the effect of maybe you should offer them Salvation Army or, you know, a homeless <laughs> shelter because it's to that level of are you really that desperate for business that you are poaching people's listings standing in front? I was trying to wrap my head around exactly how this went down like it didn't say they went inside the listing, and I could see where that would be definitely crossing some lines, but I was kind of envisioning they're on the sidewalk there, and you know buyers are coming up, and maybe they're saying, you know, are you working with an agent? I'd love to show you this house, but yeah, it's still really, really bizarre. It generated a lot of responses. Most were very negative to that action. My company's own Kelly Yawk kind of threw out just a couple scenarios just to kind of keep it lively and interesting. I don't think he was saying, oh, yeah, that's great, and all, you know, all of our agents should be doing that, but I know he wasn't saying that. I think he was just trying to challenge the thought process of where is the line of what is okay and what is not okay? I mean, what if you have a listing across the street? Are you doing something similar? So I thought it was cool, and there was a lot of comments about that. What was your take on it, Joe? Well, it's clearly bad etiquette. I mean, the person's holding an open home for for many reasons. That's to get buyers for that particular home, maybe uh, pick up some buyers or some sellers in the neighborhood. It's very convenient when a home's open. If you're a realtor or not, you could just walk right in, see it, walk right out. There's no monkeying with the lockbox or anything. However, you need to kind of look at the situation. You are not specifically going to that house to preview it for someone or to show it to someone. So, if you stop by at an open house, it's really bad etiquette if you're passing cards out and kind of schlepping the buyers that are walking through the house. Unless you are with your buyers or your friends and you had a previous relationship. But what was 
even a little more interesting. I mean, it's clearly bad etiquette, but this thread kind of started talking about reporting, like, hey, let's beware of this guy. Who is this guy? You know, let us know so we could be weary of this person in the future. And so then the discussion turned into, should we out this person? And Kelly did say something. Kelly Yock said something that I agree with. It's, you got to be so careful with the liability today of saying, hey, this guy's a jerk and this guy did this and here's his name. Don't ever do business with him. I mean, you could be liable for some of that stuff. I agree if we encounter a bad contractor or service that is not in the real estate profession, I don't have any problem saying I used this company and had a bad experience. But the rules change when it's amongst your peers. And you can't really pinpoint someone so clearly. I think I'd let people know who need to know, but I wouldn't do it in an open forum fashion. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's probably a a good way to go about it. Like you said, you know, liability is huge these days, right? You can be sued for just about anything. And, you know, I, you have to be a little careful. On the flip side, I think that that was really bad etiquette. And, you know, quite honestly, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a realtor, so, you know, my emotions on this topic probably aren't as high as some, but I would say that I don't think I would be worried about my clients going to a used car salesman tactic like that, or even like a panhandling tactic of like, hey, before you go in here, here's my card. By the way, you know, I can show you some houses and sell you some stuff. I like the hustle, but I think somebody needs to redirect his efforts <laughs> or whoever it was. I think that they, uh, obviously, they're trying to shake the bushes and, and generate business, but it just was not done in a tactful or just correct way, I think. And if it was my open house, you know, I would definitely not have a problem being like, dude, you know, not probably a good idea. So why don't you just move along, go do something else with your Saturday, I think. So that's kind of my take on it. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, so uh, Thread took that little bit of a diversion with a debate about public shame. In fact, that was the terminology that was actually used. Because I think that's something that we've all thought about on this. I mean, there, it is a large forum. And it can be very powerful to have a name out there in a good or bad way. Power can be good and it can be bad. And I agree with Kelly Yock. I, th I think you've got to be incredibly careful with this. Now, if this person did exactly what this, the person who posted the thread said, clearly, I don't think there's many that will line up and defend them. But what if it wasn't exactly? I mean, there's always two sides to every story. What if there was an agent who was meeting a buyer at the house, buyers, maybe they're getting ready to walk up to it, the buyer no-shows, and I'm just, this is purely hypothetical, but buyer no-shows, text them, and they're thinking to themselves, well, I'm still going to preview the house, and another person's entering the house with them, and then they engage them in the conversation, maybe about the weather, and then somehow they, they also say, are you working with a buyer? I was supposed to meet mine here. Here's my card. Now you start to see a scenario where this is a little bit more innocent. Had somebody gone on here and said, Joe Smith or Joe Jones <laughs> is the one who did this, you can see where this would turn into a witch hunt in front of an audience of 2,500 people and really, really be a bad thing. So I'm not saying that there should never be a name mentioned on this thread but or in on this group, but boy, you better be careful with it. And I, I just think you're far better off to avoid that if possible. Along those lines, I remember once, it was, this was probably seven, eight months ago, I posted a scenario with no name 
just kind of on the heels of this situation, it's, it was kind of interesting. I posted a scenario about how we had just closed a transaction. We were on the buy side. We, we asked the listing agent like three or four times, can you please change it from my buyer's agent's name into my name in the MLS? And, and you know, there was a threat about it. People were like, oh, yeah, why? that's not, you know, why, why are they doing that? They should get back to you. You know, I was asking, can I go to RMLS and bypass this person? I think that was my question. And lo and behold, the person emerges and says, it's only been four or five days, whatever the day is, and we've been busy. I'm going to do it. And she did immediately do it. So she kind of outed herself, which was interesting. But yeah, I, I think you have to be really careful. That's my take on it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've had, um, you know, we were just talking before we started recording. I actually had somebody that I've been dealing with for a particular type of service that somebody referred to me or suggested to me on Masters, and I have been totally unhappy with it. But I haven't gone out and said, hey, this guy is a schmuck. Don't ever use him. In privacy, off air here, I'd gladly tell you guys who this is, but I, I would be careful to put that out into the world because, yeah, it's, you know, everybody has an opinion. There's definitely two sides to a story on every story. In this case, I don't think there's a lot that can be said to defend this guy, but, um, you know, what good does it really do? I mean, it's not like we're watching out for a pedophile here. We're just watching out for a guy that has some pretty bad marketing tactics, you know? <laughs> so why don't we move on to the next one? Joe, I think that one's yours. Okay. Yeah, this is an interesting one. It actually spurred a whole other topic based on what was going on here. So this was posted April 26th by Amanda Pruitt Williams, and it says, Dear listing agent, a phone call, text, or email would have been appreciated. It is a professional courtesy. It's never a good thing when our buyers see that the house they wrote an offer on has gone pending, yet they still haven't heard from their realtor. Your lack of communication makes me look bad, and I work too damn hard to let you compromise my reputation. Signed, frustrated buyer's agent. What's your initial take on that, Steve-O? Well... I love some of the side threads on this one, and I think we're going to delve into those in a little bit. But just going into the actual post, yeah, that's unacceptable, guys. I mean, we are – stuff like this happens sometimes, and I always tell – I go straight to my clients and I say, look, it's almost impossible for me to communicate well with you if I'm not being communicated well with. But it does make us look bad to our clients, and so we beg of the other side, please, you know, don't do this. I get sometimes how this happens. We've talked on on this podcast in the past about – Pricing your listings correctly so you don't have that scenario where it's just chaos and there's 50 offers, 25 offers. I think that's part of it is just early on making sure you do your diligence to not price it in that manner. If that happens, here's another quick suggestion. I think most of our listeners know that you can go into your Sentry Lock and you can click a few buttons and it will generate an email for you with everybody that has used that lockbox. So that even the people that didn't make an offer, and that's okay. I'd rather email a few people that didn't make an offer than not email the, the ones that did. And I'm talking about a drastic situation where maybe your phone has 20 messages. You know, especially if you're a solo agent, you don't have a team that can help you in this. Your phone has 20 messages, you have 50 emails, you have 20 offers. Go into CenturyLock. Create an email where everybody who showed the house is on it. Send out saying, we are pending. 
with I don't know what you'd say for the buyer's name because maybe I guess you'd remove the person who's actually being accepted. That's what you do. You'd remove the person being accepted and say, sorry to inform you if you've made an offer. We're trying to catch up on emails and phone calls, but we have accepted one. Something as simple as that would be a, a wonderful courtesy and would really help people not look badly as this agent did. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I'm sure Joe will have a lot of good things to offer with this. And we can kind of go into some of the comments after that. But I would say that it really just comes down to professionalism, right? I mean, you are running a business, right? This ideally is not a hobby, although for some people they treat it like a hobby. And when they do, they don't run it like a business. And so what it appears Amanda was dealing with is somebody that is really not running a business. They're running a hobby and they might mask it by saying they're busy or there's just so many of this and there's so many of that. But the reality is, is that, yeah, you got to give people a heads up. And, you know, I'm not an agent, but Chris here in our office, who's the only agent for TTM Realty, you know, he put a property on the market last week before the weekend and, uh, you know, they got a bunch of offers and he called everybody back and, uh, you know, let them know where they were at, let them know that they had multiple offers, asked them if they wanted to adjust their price. He did what you're supposed to do, which is communicate with everybody. And then at that point, the buyer's agents can decide whether or not they want to adjust their offer, whether they want to stay the same. But at least then they can communicate that down the line to their buyers, right? And if he didn't get the agents, he left it with their assistant or somebody that could then communicate it with them. So I think it's just part of being a good agent, and I think that anybody that doesn't is just not doing their job properly. I mean, that's the bottom line. Now, the caveat to that in my mind is, and I'm not saying that Amanda wrote this type of offer, but if somebody came in and wrote an, a, a lowball offer, and then they're pissed that it went pending and you didn't get a call back, maybe that's the only caveat where I'm thinking to myself as a seller, like, why would I even respond to these people? We know that this sells at, you know, list or above, and you wrote an offer for 50000 less. Of course, you don't deserve a callback, right? But that's the only caveat I see. Other than that, I think that you got to treat this like a business, right? Yeah. So, Joe, go into a couple of the side conversations that occurred. You take one and I'll take the other because there was a couple interesting things that happened here. Yeah, it was interesting. So, first of all, I understand her frustration when a professional realtor is involved with someone who isn't professional. It's very frustrating. And the way she drafted this post, was very much ranty. It was kind of like one of those missed opportunities on Craigslist. You were at the grocery store <laughs> and I was the guy picking the cucumber the same time you were getting the apple and let's go have coffee. This was written to this listing agent kind of like a Dear Abby thing. And Does that not work, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work. And you know, I want to give props to John Stagnitti. He's really good. I can't police this all day long. I mean, I, I have a company to run. I have my own business. And when I turn masters back on, if, if people flag things, it just identifies which posts I need to consider, whether I delete the post, keep it, or delete the post and the broker who wrote it. <laughs> and so I do appreciate him calling it out as a rant. And it really is a rant. Did this one get flagged? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I can't remember. Probably not. You know, Probably I have not. like I 10, or 15, 10 or 15 people ask to be members a day. And then something gets flagged every day. It's kind of bigger than I am. And I, I can't even remember. But this thread, so we have two things going on. Yes, it was unprofessional of this listing agent. As the selling agent, you need to educate and isolate your buyers. The core of this entire group is communication and you need to educate, hey, there's a chance this guy has multiple offers. He might put it pending and then go present them all just to 
keep people from blowing up his phone or, hey, I'm only good to respond to you when I'm responded to. So you need to isolate and educate your buyers and or sellers and let them know the precedence of what's about to happen, but also let them know the pitfalls. If somebody stumbles and doesn't do their job, what possibly could happen? Like, well, there's a chance it could be pending and I won't get notification yet, and you're going to see it on Trulia or Zulia. The derail here was the rant, and yours truly posted something sort of in response to this on April 26th, and the title is, Okay, Everybody, Let's Take a Knee for a Second. And with that, if you look at the way Amanda wrote her post, it's clearly a rant, but you could make every rant constructive and a learning opportunity for this group. So I took two shots at, hey, how about if you introduced the thread with something like this? And this is something I just kind of drafted, given her topic. Brokers, how do you isolate your buyers in a multiple offer situation if you think the listing agent will change the property to pending before getting back to all the potential selling agents? Or Another version is what precautions do you take as a selling broker to educate your buyers that in this market, many times listing brokers change the status of a listing prior to contacting anyone who made the offer. The difference is one is kind of inspiring advice and communication and solutions. The other one is just a dear listing agent, you made me mad when you did this and this and this and this signed. I hate your guts and I'll never do business with you again. So (laughs) this, I think, is more constructive. And so aside from the topic at hand, there was another subtopic of the difference between ranting or the difference of taking everything in that rant and making it constructive. So both threads are worthy of, of reading. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, you know, you have to be the... I mean, beyond everything else you have on your plate every day, right? You're the moderator to some extent. So I think that's great advice for people that if you want to take a shot at somebody and bitch and moan about them, you can just tweak what you're saying slightly and it becomes an educational piece, right? As opposed to putting this crosshairs on the on their forehead, you know, type of post. So, you know, I think that's great advice. And I think that that's a way that it keeps people's emotions a little more in check. And it then it allows people to read and absorb and hopefully learn. Yeah, I, I agree with you as well. I, I think you guys nailed it. I think it, I think it's all in the presentation. I didn't think this one was off the charts bad. Just, no, just, I didn't either. I mean, I, and I think some of the comments about ranting were almost more aggressive than what Amanda had to say. But I love how you worded it, Joe. I'm, I'm fully on board with that, and I agree with you, Tucker. I think you know you could have spun it a little bit more positive and, and a little bit less with the negative. But there was also another side thread that kind of took off. In regards to rock star agents and large teams, it said one should at least get a no thank you, but we do hear about the quite a bit in this group, a valid complaint. But there's really no recourse except knowing that the rock star agent lost a listing because of the laziness of the new listing next week. I'll be having a new listing next week. I guess it started a little above that, but basically there was some comments about somebody who was a rock star agent who did something very similar, and then somebody went into it about why would you? I'd rather have a great, few great clients and the 10 clients who I don't interact with 
kind of a dig on agents with large teams that are doing a lot of business. My only counter to that would be that I think Nike probably builds 10,000 shoes at a time better than you or I or anyone else who had all the time in the world to go in the garage and come up with a shoe and build it. (laughs) And the reason for that is, is because they have the infrastructure, they have the people, they have the systems, they have the engineers. So I think you can relate that to real estate. I think a, a large team can build out that infrastructure. They can have those systems so that they take care of their clients every bit as well as a solo agent who maybe has a lot more time but doesn't have those resources available. So I'm all for the solo agents. I'm all for the teams. But I thought that was a little dig on big teams. And and on along those lines, I hope I wasn't anywhere involved in this situation. And if I was, please, it's not me. It's If it was one of my listing agents, please reach out to me and tell me your listing agent did not get back to me because they will get in trouble. That's right. You'll say, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> probably won't go straight to that. Yeah, I'll probably, probably just post it on Masters. That's true. You'll rant about them on Masters and then yeah. fire. And, and then I'll quick. kick you out. <laughs> cool. So let's move on to the third one. Tucker, hey, I got one, you. one quick thing, though, and just kind of for the record, I really want to give props to Amanda Williams. She got frustrated. She wrote this post. You know, admittedly, it, it was a little ranty. I totally agree with her on that. I totally agree that it was a rant. And when I wrote my take a knee post, she was the first to step up, total class act, and said, yep, I'm sorry. I was just passionate and pissed off, and you're right, and I'm going to work to make it more constructive. So I just had to kind of call her out and say, what a great class act, and for the record, I'll say that about anyone that absolutely agrees with me. <laughs> class act, and you're 100% accurate. Hey, Dan, note that in the show notes, right? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere. That's right. Cool. Well, let's move on to the next topic. And this one, I have a feeling, is going to be a bit of a lightning rod, depending on uh, how our comments go on it. But it's it's one of those topics that people tend to feel very passionate about, whether it be one way or the other. So, the post was on April 28th, and uh, I believe it's Shante Stroud who posted it. And uh, it's basically a, a topic of kids in real estate. So it starts off, kids in real estate. I'd love to hear from some other agents who have had small children that they've taken with them to show homes or go on listing appointments. Thoughts, experiences, tips, tricks, what works, funny stories. I've slowed down my business since I've had my daughter five months ago, but it's looking like I need to get back into the swing of things. Assistant, question mark, maybe. So this is kind of one of those topics that definitely a lightning rod because they're, they're, we've talked about it before, the, the kind of mom with kids that's in real estate versus the professional. There was that whole ad campaign that we discussed a while back that was definitely uh, you know caused a lot of emotion on one side or the other. You know, I'll say this, and you know, obviously I'm not a realtor, but I do have a 10-month-old daughter. I have a mother-in-law who is a realtor, and, and I asked her, we asked her, my wife and her, or and I asked her to watch our daughter the other weekend, which was, it was very nice of her to do that because we got to go to Bend and I got to play golf at Pronghorn, which was fantastic. But she had some showings that she was going to be doing over the weekend, and she was concerned about bringing you know, her granddaughter, my daughter, with her, who's 10 months old, and I understand exactly why because you know kids can be all-consuming sometimes, and if they're all-consuming, you're really not there to perform to the best of your abilities with your client, uh, whether that be looking at the house, looking at the good things, the bad things, listening to your client, whatever those things are that you know, you're supposed to be in tune with. If you throw a kid in the mix that's like my 10-month-old or takes a lot of time, is very all-consuming, 
I don't think you can do your job to the best of its ability. And so, you know, that's just my stance on it. But with that said, what do you think, Steve? Well, first of all, I want to mention that recently I, I've mentioned on the show that I was in San Antonio, Texas for a Zillow event, and I met that Seattle realtor oh. who went through that horrific, horrific experience. I actually sat by him at lunch. We, we hit it off very well. He was a cool guy. He's now my Facebook friend, in fact. So he told me the entire story from his vantage point. He said it was horrific. It, I mean, you know, it just it just spiraled out of control. A couple interesting things he told me. He said, you know, the marketing piece was actually the idea and brainchild of one of the single moms on my team who was in the marketing side of things. She created it. They they looked at it and they go, yeah, this looks like a fun piece. It'll kind of get people to, to laugh. It goes out. Next thing you know, within hours and days, I mean, it's just out of control, going viral. The manager of the Remax he worked for came in and said, you know, they kind of gave him a couple play-by-plays like, hey, this thing's not going good. And then a couple hours later, hey, you're going to have to leave the company. He pointed out to him that, hey, I've got some single moms on my team. That's not going to look great for you if you fire us all. So the owner of that Remax said, okay, just go find another place to work. He went to another Remax and, and sure enough, did transition over to another company. And then lastly, I mean, it did cause some problems with his business partner, and they kind of went their separate ways, and I think that was even his brother. So I interesting story. On the heels of that, of course, we're going to be careful with this one. But the good news is I have a fairly balanced view of this. I think kids at a showing can be okay. I truly do. It depends on two things. It depends on the kid, and it depends on the client. And you have to have a perfect alignment of both. If I'm with you, Tucker. If the kid's too young, I think it becomes such a distraction that I think it's hard to envision that you're going to be doing all things that your client needs you to do. So I think age definitely factors in. But I think if you get into the, I mean, I'm, I'm going to throw an age out. I'm not saying this is, this is the cutoff by any means because I think I'm going to say 8, 10 years old, maybe even the right kid at 5 or 6. It can be kind of fun for them. You know, it's fun for them. They're like a little junior realtor. You can give them jobs to do. Like, hey, while we go in, I want you to help me turn on some lights. I think the right client would think that's cool. So I think there's a place for it, but it just takes good discretion and it takes examining the kid and the client both. How about you, Joe? I think that's spot on. For the listeners, the Seattle broker that you're talking about, that was posted September 14th, 2015. And his advertisement was a part-time agent, which is the mom with three kids and a disheveled house against full-time professionals, which was himself and his brother in suits. That was a great topic, by the way. You're right. It depends on the kid, and it also depends on your audience. Now, I have some clients that they're suit-and-tie people only. If I go there, I'm suit-and-tie. I don't cuss. If... We go out to eat, I drink an iced tea, I don't have a beer, and I wouldn't possibly think about dragging kids along with me. However, you have people that really don't care. Some of my best friends are my clients, and I can show up in cargo shorts, I could tell off-color jokes, we could have a beer, and I could have kids in tow. Sometimes life gets in the way, and when you look at family and you look at business and you look at all that other stuff, family is above business. I don't make it a point to when my kids were little. I mean, they drive and they're off to college now, but I made a point to have that be the absolute last resort to take my kids to a showing or a listing appointment. But gosh darn it, if I had to, 
I made sure they had little goldfish to eat and they had an iPad with all their favorite games and they were in a bubble. I mean, they were going to sit there and be happy and quiet and not bothersome. So if you have to bring your kids, make sure that you have absolutely everything they need to make it go as well as possible. So again, it's not ideal, but I understand there are occasions where they need to come along and just deal with it as best you can. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a good way to look at it, Steve. I, I was going to say one last thing about that, and it has to do a lot. The only determining factor is not the age of the kid. It has a lot to do with the temperament of the kid. I mean, you could have a 14-year-old kid that has a bratty personality. He's going to be pouting and doing all the wrong things that are going to make you look really bad. So you just got to know the child and make decisions based on that. Yeah, and your client, as Joe said. I mean, certain yep. clients expect certain things, and you know you know who they are. You know what they want to see and not see, and so you kind of have to respect that a little bit because they're choosing to do business with you. So I think, those are, I think that was a good way of looking at it, and I think uh, we probably hit everything that needs to be talked about on that one. So uh, let's roll to our last topic, Steve. Why don't you introduce it, and we'll give our thoughts. Yeah, so this one was one that I loved quite a bit, guys, and, and it's one of the ones, actually, on the ones we've gone through today, I don't think I commented much on them just because life happens and I got busy and I didn't get the opportunity. But this one I did, so that'll be kind of a fun one for me. This one was posted on April 25th. The post says, Hello, Masters. When you are the listing agent and have multiple offers, do you reveal the dollar amount of the accepted offer to the agents whose client's offer was not accepted? Why or why not? So I'll kind of chat about this one real quick. So it kind of started right away, like, no, never. That's the forbidden sin. Don't do it. It's going to hurt your clients, and it's illegal. And and I loved that Richard Mario stepped right up, who is an attorney, and he's actually our attorney. He said, it is only confidential if your client says it is. There may be strategic reasons to disclose or not. There is no the answer. So he's saying, like, look, it's not a hard, fast no there. And I fully agreed with that, you know. It's a case-by-case situation. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, if your list price, this is kind of what I, I laid out in there, is if your list price is 500 and you accept an offer at 525, I have a hard time imagining how you would hurt your sellers if that sale failed by telling a couple other agents, you know, we're, we're pending at 525. It seems to me like if it sale failed, those people would know, okay, we got to step up and go to 525 or, or that's, you know, that's kind of what is the expectation of the seller at this point based on past experience. Now, am I advocating that you do that across the board every time or that you even give the specific amount? I mean, there's ways to kind of help people understand where you landed without giving the to the dollar amount. No, I'm not advocating that. I think it's a case by case. I, I think it depends on your relationship with the agent. If it's somebody in the next office or somebody that's been very communicative with you and, and you've struck up a nice friendship with them, that can be a very nice gesture to give them some closure, especially if it goes way over asking price and they're not even in the realm, nor do they want to be in the realm. That can really give the buyer some closure. So th that was some of my thoughts. How about you, Joe? You know, I'm not a fan of telling prices. If my seller says it's okay and they specifically want me to, then I guess I will. But you got to look at the potential blowback. I mean, people are pretty trigger happy on saying somebody didn't do something ethically. So, and look at that scenario, a house for 500, you get an offer for 525 and it sale fails. Well, then you have all these people that didn't get it. There is kind of a learning curve with buyers. You know, they come in with 
gee, I came in at full price or I went over by 10 or 15 and they think they should get it. Obviously, if they didn't think they would get it, it's not even worth writing. You know, why write what you're not going to get? So to say that it was five and a quarter, it could be limiting you because they don't know what it is. Maybe if it sale fails and you go back to all those people and say, hey, you know what? You rarely get a second chance at the house you love, but you're going to come in with your best offer. Maybe the second time around, they get 535. So I like the mystery of come in with your best offer, no games, highest and best, no escalations. And I don't give out that information because it will circle around that, yeah, the guy flat out told me that the offer was five and a quarter. Well, if you tell everyone five and a quarter, maybe someone comes in at 526 and is the winner. And the guy that wrote it for five and a quarter is mad because you told them the answers to the test and they were wrong. So I prefer to take that part out of the whole dynamic and just say, come in with your best offer and, and we'll decide on one. I think it keeps everyone honest. Yeah, I like that approach. I think, you know, obviously I'm not having those conversations, but I instruct Chris here in our office to kind of do the same thing. You know, and I, I just think that it's, it, you got to give respect to get respect. And I don't want to dump on the guy that comes in at five and a quarter if you list it at five and then leverage him to the hilt to try and get 526, right? From the next guy. You want to try and be fair with people because that other guy that paid 526 might have wrote, maybe originally didn't write anywhere close to that. So now obviously you got to look deeper than that once you get the offer. But we're an advocate of saying, well, it was strong, it was over list. So if you're willing to write over list, I would suggest you to write. If you're not, probably not going to get it, something to that extent. I think giving exact numbers, obviously there are particular situations where, yeah, I'm sure that would be advantageous. But for the most part, I, I like to allude to things, as Joe said, and I think that that's probably the fairest way to give respect and also get it with a transaction. I agree. I think being vague is is the safe way to do this. But even like what you said, way over list. I mean, give you know, giving them something so that there's a little bit of closure, I think, can be helpful. And I want to also add, guys, because I did clarify this in the thread. Make no mistake. If you are under ask, you should never disclose because that would be letting the cat out of the bag what the seller was willing to take. So that's a very different scenario than what I'm talking about here, where you're clearly over asking. And again, back to that scenario, Joe, with the 500 and 525, I guess you make a good point. I do get it that you could, in some situations, be limiting the next time you're on the market after the sale fail, you could be limiting what the seller gets, maybe going over the 525. However, I guess my now you're making the baseline price 525 versus 500, which it was before. But you have to be careful with it. I get it. It ultimately is the seller's call. So it's not it's not for us to decide. It's for us to kind of explain to our sellers and let them make the decision. But I guess my point was it's not a clear it's wrong legally or ethically. And it's just something that, you know, it's a case by case and, and you evaluate everything and your sellers do and you go from there. I think we need to have a new uh, segment when we come together like this. We need to call it hot market problems, right? Because yeah. something like this would never exist in a, in a normal market. But, uh, <laughs> We've got hot market problems today. So Yeah, yeah. Well, we covered a lot of ground here. Unless you've got any closing thoughts on that topic, Steve or Joe. I agree. You know, being vague is your friend. I don't even tell people how many offers I have, by the way. If someone asks, I say I have at least one. If I have 12 or if I have one in my hand, I have at least one. That's all 
you need to know. Sometimes when I cite a number, it discourages people because they don't want to compete. And all they need to know is I have at least one. When I do get specific, however, if something is going way over ask and someone calls and says, hey, my people are qualified for X amount of dollars, is it even worth writing? I will tell them, don't waste your time for that sake. But great podcast. I agree with everything both you guys said. That's <laughs> Wow. We're all in agreement today. That's terrific. Well, and I have to say one last thing in, in closing that this is what I love about the Masters group. And this is what I love about our podcast and having both you guys on here is you realize there's more than one way to skin a cat. And by the way, I don't know where that expression came from. And I don't know why people are skinning cats. But Along those lines, you, you I'll realize- look it up for next week's show, Steve, so we can explain where it came. From. Yeah. You realize that Joe's not right or wrong, and I'm not right or wrong, and and there's different approaches to things, and to have a healthy respect and to hear those is just so powerful. And sometimes people change their approaches. I know there's things that I did probably two years ago that I felt like, oh, it's, this is the way to do it, and then you get in a room or on you see it on Masters, and someone explains their opposite approach, and you're like, gosh, that makes a lot of sense. And so that's the beauty of real estate. There's not just one way to do it and it's great to see those other people's vantage points right now i will say that that lead generating from poaching somebody else's open house probably not a good idea no matter what vantage point you're on. <laughs> that's right that's right so <laughs> cool well hey joe we appreciate you as always coming on i think we had some great conversations some great topics so thanks for joining us i think it was another great show thanks guys thanks joe all right steve we'll be back next week we will see you next time Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.